Welcome to RTHK's International Economics Correspondent, Barry Wood. Good morning, Barry. <laughs> Good morning, Stephen. And I believe, Barry, you're in Charleston, South Carolina. As they sometimes say on the trucking radio station, there's Charlie Town West, Virginia, and there's Charlie Town South. I'm in Charlie Town South. Okay, well, hello from the trucking radio station in Hong Kong. Well, I don't know how many truckers we have listening today, but I'm sure they do. And welcome to Brendan Ahern, who is CIO of Crane Shares. Good morning, Brendan. Good morning. Great to have you on the show today. So let's go straight on to the questions, whilst I'd love to talk more about Charleston with Barry. But first of all, Bloomberg News has reported that China is planning actions to boost its falling stock market, with officials thinking about setting up a fund of around 2 trillion yuan, which is 278 billion US dollars to invest in stocks. Do you think that's going to be enough, Brendan? Well, we, we do. We think it's very much necessary that uh, the China markets are in a negative feedback loop where selling creates uh, more selling, just as callable bull bear contracts, warrants, and other uh, derivative contracts um, uh, have forced redemptions um, against that absence of buyers. So it reminds me a little bit of uh, like the summer of 2015 when the mainland market's margin-driven equity bubble burst. And as margin calls took place, it created forced selling, which then created more margin calls. And, and ultimately, uh, the government did intervene, uh, basically put the, tapped the brakes, and it did stabilize the market. Uh, so I think we're in a very similar situation where an intervention is necessary. Okay, Barry, are you having memories of the summer of 2015? Not really, but of course I'm very far away from the Hong Kong market. It does seem to me that uh, if we had a big rally, as you just did, and as seems to be going on today, Correct, yeah. uh, that's because so many of these stocks that are going to be purchased are going to be traded in Hong Kong. Well, that's good news for brokerages, isn't it? <laughs> and, uh, Very good news. I think for the brokerages. question is, as as uh, just to amplify what Brendan said, is is this enough? Is this enough to give support to the market in China and Hong Kong? And is it enough to really instill confidence among investors? And that's a question that we'll have to wait and see over the next few weeks. It is not addressing the housing problem, which is a much bigger part of the economy than, than equities. But it's certainly been a positive move. And I think the only question is, is that enough money? Okay. Well, going back to you, Brendan, so if that's not enough money, it doesn't get the market back to where they want it to be. Do you see them adding to that, topping up and putting a, a fund of even more yeah. than two trillion yuan? Yeah, I mean, there's been some rumors that you could see central Hujan, their uh, sovereign wealth fund, stepping in with more e, uh, ETF purchases in the mainland, which we've seen, though, um, that's been an ineffective to stop this uh, downturn. And I think uh, I would agree to Barry's point, you know, real estate is the culprit. Um, it was, I think, disappointing uh, that 
Uh, the loan prime rate, um, similar to the medium-term lending facility over the past two weekends, were not cut. I think that's, that's due to a um, – they don't want to weaken the currency, and maybe they're going to wait for the Fed to cut in March, and then we'll see some movement there. But I think, I think you know, the December real estate numbers uh, from China were just a disaster um, it shows that you know, despite the efforts and policy, um, the real estate market really needs more uh, TLC, so to speak. Yeah. Needs mm. uh, needs some real real assistance, and I think um, you know to Barry's point, I think that you know, you'll see more happen around real estate, which hopefully will create a little more confidence from uh, the domestic consumption as well as from an, uh, an investor perspective as well. So, Brenda, what in particular do you see them doing for the property sector? Well, I think I think cutting, you know, by cutting the uh, mortgage rates, uh, it allows for Chinese households uh, with exposure, which is, we know is very significant. Two thirds of urban household wealth is allocated to real estate, uh, so that would allow a refinancing wave to take place, which obviously frees up balance sheet exposure for Chinese households, which you know would help on the domestic consumption side. So, I think a refinancing wave. Uh, certainly, we continue to see a lot of effort to stabilize distressed real estate developers that allow them to finish what they started. They'll undoubtedly pay for their sins. Uh, but you're seeing Country Garden, SUNAC, um, actually restructure, which will allow them to muddle through. Um, but it's an ongoing concern that's not going to go away. And um, you know, certainly, I think investors have been sidelined by the lack of you know, the proverbial policy bazooka uh, to restore confidence. And, and you know, I think that's against the, the backdrop of, you know, U.S. equities are just on such a tremendous win streak. It's just like a black hole pulling money out of markets globally into yeah. U.S. mega cap, large cap tax, in my opinion. Hmm. So many interesting things are evolving at the moment. So watch this space and keep listening to Money Talk. Netflix has clearly won the streaming wars, states Jessica Reif Ehrlich, a media analyst at the Bank of America. Uh, would you agree with that, Barry? Oh, my goodness. Yes. Uh, look, one thing that the Americans do well is innovation. And it's hard to really recall that it was only 1997 that Netflix was created. And look at them now. I mean, they have, what, 260 million global yeah. subscribers? I remember when uh, you got this disc in the mail from Netflix when they were starting out. And now they moved into producing films and TV series. They started that in only 2013. That's only 11 years ago. And now they're dominant. So Reed Hastings has done wonders for this company. And just in the last, what, 12, 16 hours, they've announced a big deal with WWE, $5 yes. billion. That's, um, that's the wrestling channel, for heaven's sakes. And uh, there is so much disruption, Stephen. I mean, look at newspapers. Newspapers struggle. And everything is online. If you look at what's happening with viewing, it used to be standard television, then it shifted to cable, then everyone cut the cord, at least here in the States, I think in Europe, and now they're uh, going to an advertising model on streaming. So this is a fast 
changing technology, but dominance from Netflix is extraordinary. And it's not just the crown, it's not just the squid game challenge. I mean, this is a company that knows how to identify weakness in the market and fill it. So all you can do is say, you're doing a great job, Netflix, keep it up. And what consolidation do you see happening now? I mean, there's been a lot of talk about there's just too many streaming services. Any thoughts on that? Well, only that Disney, which was so dominant in movies and, and you know, they own ESPN, which is the big sporting network. Uh, they're a weak number two. Amazon, which, you know, started two years ago selling books. That seems like the distant past. And now Amazon produces a lot of uh, streaming and their own production. So this is, uh, I think Netflix has got such a substantial lead, it's going to be hard for the others. And of course there will be consolidation. Uh, HBO, USA, these are com companies that uh, really are struggling now. So I, I agree with your premise at the beginning of this, Stephen. Netflix is the winner. Yeah. Anything to add, Brendan? No, I think Barry's points are on the mark that I think, uh, you know, consolidation um, is likely coming. Uh, there's a lot of content creation, um, and you, you don't want to end up in a hyper-competitive kind of pirate victory situation. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely agree. You know, Netflix is a, is a you know, superb company. It's uh, not a cheap stock, but it's, it's, a, you know, it's a very well-run company with a great opportunity. Um, yeah. It is, you know, that you know, forty times, uh, you know, PE multiple. It's, it's again not cheap, but but it's delivering on the growth. So you know that that works. Okay. Well, we do need to remember here that video killed the radio star, to quote that very famous financial <laughs> expert, Buggles. And Carolyn, please play that on your show at the weekend. I do enjoy that song, although kind of depressing when you're on the radio. Anyway, let's move on to Bitcoin now, which dropped under that psychologically significant 40,000 US dollar mark yesterday. Are you bullish or bearish about Bitcoin longer term, Barry? Well, uh, bearish only because I know so little about it, really. I mean, I think we've been still responding to two things. One, the tragedy of the demise of Charlie Munger, who yeah. said that uh, all of crypto was, was rat poison. And the second is Jamie Dimon over in Davos less than a week ago saying, you know, what's it do? Why bother? He doesn't believe in it. So there you are. OK, how about you, Brendan? Are you more of a supporter? You know, I think I think blockchain certainly offers a lot of opportunity. It's uh, potentially a threat to uh, financial uh, financial companies, which maybe explains a little bit of um, some of the uh, pushback from uh, well-regarded CEOs like Jamie Dimon. Um, at the same time, Bitcoin you know, serves a purpose for uh, many many people who want to try to get their money out of countries with capital uh, restrictions at the same time it's clearly utilized uh, by terrorists drug dealers and some um un dark parts of our society um and and that 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 i think is is problematic and on yeah. multiple levels so and somewhat you know like barry i'm pretty indifferent uh, but I, I can certainly see the promise of blockchain 
uh, from a dissing and mediation perspective, uh, having legs to it, regardless of Bitcoin's price. Do you think it can be cleaned up? And if it is cleaned up, do you see it having a future then? Well, I mean, that's that's almost the irony is that because of the um, it is traceable, um, and and that that I think shows some of the dark, you know, that 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 this is trackable in, in many regards, but it's um, you know certainly you know by holding people hostage, corporations, um, you know, you know, it's always in Bitcoin, and um, you know, I think you know Gary Gensler's comments. Uh, the head of the SEC in approving a Bitcoin ETF, it was, you know, with a lot of asterisks, a lot of risk warning, uh, but certainly, you know, after the FTX fraud, um, you know, it makes sense to put it under some level of regulatory purview versus being run out of, uh, you know, some Caribbean island. So so it's, it's something that, you know, serves a need, but it certainly has a dark side to it. Well, thank you very much to our guest this morning. It's Barry Wood from um, RTHK's International Economics Correspondent and Brendan Ahern, who is CIO of Crane Shares. Thank you to you both. Very interesting insights there.